Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never Hello, everybody, and welcome to a public affair. It's Wednesday, December 13th. That means you've got me. I'm your host today, Carousel Baird. And I want to remind you, you are listening to A Public Affair on volunteer-powered, listener-sponsored community radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Well, I'm really excited for our conversation today. If everyone remembers, last week we were talking about the impact of our roads and, and the fact that, you know, on roads we are killing animals we are impacting ourselves we're impacting the environment it was a really exciting conversation one that i had sort of never had or thought about before and we thought a perfect continuation of the conversation of the impact of roads and streets would be talking about why we use them and most of the time people tell me they use them because they're commuting to work they're getting maybe to school maybe maybe to work back and forth from the things that they that are the fundamental part of their life you live in your home and you do the other heart of what you do your job your school your volunteer work perhaps um but that's your commute between we want to talk about commuting what is commuting what's the impact of commuting it has quite an impact on your emotional health on your physical health it has an impact financially on you on your job all of these things is it possible that commuting could have a positive impact what is too long all of those details so many questions to talk about commuting and we have found a commuting expert to join us today we have dr james salas joining us today hello james how are you doing Hello, good to be with you. Wonderful to have you today. And let me tell everyone a little bit about you. You are a distinguished professor emeritus from the Herbert Wertheim School of Public Health and Human Longevity Science at the University of California, San Diego. And you're a professorial, I said it right, professorial Uh. fellow um, at the Australian Catholic University in Melbourne, Australia. And you're an adjunct professor in the Department of Psychology at San Diego State University. So you really cover all, all the avenues when we're thinking about really public health. That's what I love is that you have a public health aspect to this. So I have some pre-pandemic numbers. I was trying to find post-pandemic numbers, not as easy to find. Um, But pre-pandemic in 2019, 75% of Americans drove to work or commuted to work. The numbers went down during the pandemic, but they're actually creeping back up. And of those people that drove to work, Um, almost 10% of U.S. workers drove one hour or more. Um, Before we get into that, can we talk about what is commuting? Is commuting any way that you get to work? If you take the bus, is that commuting? If you walk to work, is that commuting? If you drive to work, is that all within the definition of commuting? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you are... you are identifying one of the uh, big problems in transportation um, these days. When you think of going to work, commuting, you automatically think car. Yeah. Right? And you're asking, does it count as commuting if you're walking or biking or taking the bus? And the commuting is the trip. Um, And uh, no matter how you take that trip, you're still commuting to work, school, volunteer. Um, so, so embedded in your question is a statement of the problem, uh, the biggest problem that we have in transportation in, the, in this country. Does that depend on where you live? Like, for example, I spent part of my life in Los Angeles. I grew up in Los Angeles. That was, and my parents drove an hour I, I was a student at the time. I was in uh, high school and elementary school, but my parents drove an hour each way to work. Then there was a time in my life where I lived in Washington, D.C., and my commute involved walking, then in a crowded uh, metro, and then walking perhaps another mile. And so I, I wonder if you ask people in New York and Washington, D.C., and maybe even Chicago cities with uh, good mass transportation, 
would they define commuting differently than people here in Wisconsin where um, we don't have mass transit as well? Yeah, I think so. It you you would answer a question like that in relation probably to your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you and everybody you know drives to work, then you're going to think, okay, well, commuting is driving. And we might think, well, that's maybe normal. That's that's the fine because that's the way it is. But if you live in New York, you're not thinking about driving all the time. Right. Uh, you're, you have many choices in, in uh, New York and Chicago and San Francisco uh, about in Boston, how to get around. You can take the train or you can take the car and you have to weigh the, the pros and cons of each of those. But in many places, uh, there, there is no choice. So if you live in the suburbs, just about anywhere in this country, you're driving. Right. Even, in, the, even, even in big cities like New York and Washington, you see, you're still at some point too far away from the reach of the mass transit. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Because the suburbs, by definition, are uh, really designed um, for driving. Mm-hmm. They're, they're designed so you have to drive. And maybe that wasn't the intention, but that's the reality. If, uh, if you don't have work and school within walking distance and you, you live in a place that um, is too low density to support transit, you're driving. That's it. So when we start talking about the impacts of commuting, and we'll get to that in a moment, do these impacts apply really to drivers or can they apply to everyone? Even, uh, I mean, taking the train in New York and DC, those are the cities that I've lived in. It can be very stressful. Well, it, yeah, it can be, it can be. Um, but what about, what about commuting in your car? Is that not stressful? Yes. I very. think that is stressful. Yes, it is. You know, people, do not like sitting in traffic, um, certainly for an hour or more uh, at a time. You know, that's, that's in my guess, probably not the best part of their day. No. Um, so, yes, the, the, way you, uh, the way you commute, the conditions of those commutes are, are, are going to impact your, your mood and your, your sense of well-being. I was just trying to say how I think I can't imagine anyone saying that driving to work isn't stressful, maybe a few, but in general, I think everyone thinks driving to work is stressful. And yet I also think that taking mass transit to work can be stressful as well. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. If it's, uh, if it's too crowded or, uh, you're unsure about your connections and and that sort of thing. Yes. Yes. There is a, a, a stressful aspect. It can be a stressful aspect to that. Well, Let's sort of start by breaking down then the impacts of commuting. Um, and I think there's so many to talk about. Do you think we should start with the emotional impacts of, of commuting? Um, probably better to start out with the health impacts of okay. commuting. Those are, those are much better understood. So are they and- physical health or emotional health or all of it? It's all intertwined. Well, uh, you know, I, I would just say we have better evidence about the physical health. Okay. And, and it's not just commuting. It's not just uh, for the, the, the trip you take to work. Although that's typically the longest trip of a day and typically uh, the most likely to be taken by car because it's the longest trip of the day for most people. Um, and so it really doesn't matter what the... Uh, the purpose is uh, whether you're commute, you're going to work, or you're going uh, to shopping, or you're going to visit someone. Um, uh, you know, driving, uh, you know, has known known consequences, and most of them are negative. Um, so I t- I tallied up, looking at the uh, ten causes, the ten leading causes of death. In the U.S., you know, kind of diseases like heart disease and stroke and cancer and diabetes and uh, injuries and uh, suicides and a whole list of 
uh, the leading causes of death. And I think I counted up, uh, driving makes about seven of those worse. Seven out of the lin, ten, seven out of the 10 leading causes of death, driving makes worse. They're exacerbated by driving. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, and there are three, three main mechanisms by which driving uh, uh, leads to health problems. Okay. Uh, one, uh, maybe one of the most obvious is crashes. All right. So cars have crashes every day, all day, every day. Um, sometimes they crash into cars. Sometimes they crash into pedestrians and cyclists. Sometimes they crash into just things along the road. Um, and uh, traffic crashes uh, kill at least 30,000 people a year uh, in the United States. And it's getting worse. It's getting worse pretty quickly. What's um, so interesting about that as, um, you know, the I'm, I'm the parent of a 17-year-old who's been Right. So she's been driving for uh, a year and a half. And it's so interesting that you talk about crashes, not something I specifically thought about, because I'm sort of thinking about the stress of sitting in bumper to bumper traffic. But for me, right, the times I've worried the most isn't when she's sitting in bumper to bumper traffic, but sometimes when the road is actually a little bit of an open road or an uh, uh a, a drive that uh, it might be lengthy, but she's not having to stop a lot. Because I think about all the other cars that are now um, intersecting with her because she's now going over 40 miles an hour and the danger that puts to her. So that is so fascinating. Right. I feel more worried when her car picks up speed and it yeah. isn't a traffic jam. Yeah. Oh, ab absolutely. Well, cars are much more dangerous when, obviously, when they're going at high speeds dangerous for the driver, the occupants, and whoever they might run into or whoever might run into them. So uh, so this is this is a big deal. I love um, that it sort of puts the idea of, that puts commuting on its head, though. We think of commuting as, God, it's stressful because I'm sitting bumper to bumper. But you're talking about it. Even if you're not sitting bumper to bumper, that has huge you know, repercussions because you're traveling at a faster speed, much more danger is possible. Much more dangerous, much more dangerous, you know, when you're driving hmm. at full speed, for sure. So that's just that's just one uh, mechanism by which car, cars call Ill health, cause ill health. The second uh, is air pollution. Um, cars, uh, most cars, uh, almost all cars in this country create air pollution everywhere they go. They're leaving gifts behind yeah. the, every neighborhood they go through. And um, you're, as you're driving, you're sitting in, you know, a concentrated area of air pollution. Um, and that air pollution is shared, shared widely across the region and across the country. Um, so, you know, air pollution is terrible for your lungs, uh, increases risk of heart disease, uh, diabetes. Um, so, there and there's a lot of chemicals uh, that you're 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 spewing out and then breathing back in, and you know a, a, another source of pollution from cars that a lot of people don't think about um, is oh I'll ask it like this: Where does your tire go? When where do your tires go when they wear out? Hmm. They go into the air, so you're you're breathing in tire dust. And brake uh, brake dust um, when your brake pads wear out, yes, they're going into the air, and we're breathing those. So, um, so wow. there's a lot of components of air pollution from cars, and it's a you know it's a it's a causes all kinds of long-term health problems. Well, and I've read uh, in preparing for the show, I was reading a handful of studies that really talked about how if you're someone that has a longer commute, therefore you spend more time in your car, you spend more time surrounded by other cars, you have a higher exposure to air pollution and all these other things that you're talking about, the tires and the brake fluids and all those things, because you're in your car next to another car. Exactly. You're 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 in a uh, a, a moving river of pollution um, on the roads. 
Yeah, and uh, there's there's really no escaping that until we go all electric. So okay, so those those hazards of cars um, are well known, have been on the agenda a long time. There's work, you know, being done uh, that has been done to reduce those, and they have been somewhat effective, especially in pollution. Cars these days. Gas-powered cars pollute a lot less, like 90% less than they did a, a few decades ago. Yes. But the third, the third way that cars harm health is um, because while you're driving, you're sitting and you're not being active. Um, so every, you know, uh, um, Every car trip that you take instead of walking, biking, or transit, you are reducing your physical activity. And that turns out to be uh, particularly important for health. Um, there have been uh, a, a couple of studies done showing that um, uh, if you were to replace car trips um, with uh, with walking or biking that most of the health benefit comes from getting people active, not reducing pollution or a risk of injury. So it's, it's actually the sitting associated with driving that is causing most of the health problems. And so when, again, I, I, I said that, uh, um, you know, driving and cars are increased risk for about seven of the 10 leading causes of death. Being active, active transportation improves, um, I think, six of those uh, causes of death. Um, and so uh, walking and biking doesn't doesn't really improve your uh, uh, deaths from uh car crashes and injuries because you're actually walking and biking in the u.s you're putting yourself at higher risk so mm. that that increases your risk of of crashes but it dramatically imp improves your uh your overall health and quality of life and is that because it sort of adds to all the different elements of it you're um seated when you're driving and then you get to work and you're Right. I am seated right now talking to you and you are seated right now talking to me. And that like instead of spending this half hour or 45 minutes walking somewhere or doing something else, you're adding being sedentary to a daily life that is sedentary. You, uh, our our daily lives are just about as sedentary as as they can get. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, the way I look at it is that many fortunes and, um, many business empires have been created, um, by, uh, helping people find ways to avoid activity. All right. Yes. And cars is one of the major ways that that's happened. Think, think about it. Commuting, uh, you know, commuting by car. The, these days is and and for for decades has been uh, uh, about ninety percent uh, commuting to work has been about ninety percent car by car for decades and think about it before a hundred years ago zero uh, percent people uh, commuted by cars they usually walked or biked or took transit and so. Think, think of that transformation of this country. And that's just taking physical activity out of um, travel. And as you mentioned, we've, we've done at least as, uh, as much to take physical activity out of work through yes. mechanizing everything, through working through computers, um, um, you know, mechanizing hard labor. Um, and uh, having people mainly doing um, sedentary jobs. Um, so, um, you know, that's a, and uh, the, other, the other thing, think about your household. Um, I like to ask people, 
how many labor saving devices do you have in your house or your apartment? And, um, and my, uh, and I, I suspect that for most people, it would be hard to count up, you know, dishwashers and vacuum cleaners and uh, leaf blowers and uh, just electric knives and every, every possible thing that you can mechanize has been, has been mechanized. So all of those things used to be done by hand and uh, now almost none of them are done by hand, washing clothes. Um, so, so yes, we, we have engineered physical activity out of our lives in almost every conceivable way. And now uh, with the use of technology, we can, um, you know, to be a sports star, you don't, you don't even have to get up from your chair. Esports are now considered sports. So, um, uh, and, uh, so we've just, we've just, um, succeeded in creating the conditions where people can be uh, extraordinarily sedentary. And in case that, you know, you just don't have the energy to get up and get yourself a meal, you can have it delivered um, every day. Um, so, so as a person that's dedicated my career to uh, trying to help people be more active, because most people want to be more active, um, it's a it's a difficult thing to do. You would think physical activity, okay, fine, you know, just walk out the door, but it's it's really not that easy um, when there's so much money being spent um, to get us to sit so that companies can make their profits. We're talking right now with Dr. James Salas. We're talking about the impact of commuting on your health and. Uh, beyond. If you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Um, Mary Jo, our receptionist, is out today um, wishing her well and happy holidays to Mary Jo. So if you want to join the conversation, I have a special number for you. Are you ready? Are you ready, everyone? It's area code 608-467-5688. Two seven that patches you right into the studio with Jay. Jay's our engineer. He's ready for your calls. He would love to hear from you. You can um, join us live on the air if you have a question for us, um, or you can also pass on a message that we can share um, with Dr. Salas. Whatever you want is a great way to join. However you want to do it. Area code six zero eight. I'm going to say the number again. Area code six zero eight four six seven. Five six two seven special phone number just for today. We would love to hear your thoughts. What is your commute like? What do you think the commute uh, has an impact on your life? Um, so, Doctor Sells, I think it's so interesting how um, the changes have happened in the last few years because of the pandemic to get to to change the commute commuting times, working from home, but that doesn't. So one that may solve the problem of, of cars on the road, but that doesn't change the sedentary ness of our lives. So there's some win there. It's good not to be in a car as much or as often, Um, but it's still not overall impact. Uh, we're, we're still a car society. It isn't, ooh, I replaced my car with a walk. It's, I replaced my car with sitting here at home and doing nothing. I'm not, I mean, you're working, but you're not moving, not doing nothing. Exactly, yeah. Um, um, it, it's, uh, that just shows that this is not, these are not easy problems to solve. Right. And, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. Just repl- uh, meaning that you are, not, are in your car less, but you're still sitting as much because you're spending more time at home um, doing, doing work. Um, and most, most of that is sedentary work. You're not, you're not um, people who are doing construction can't um, do the digging and hammering and all of that uh, in the comfort of their living room. Right. You know, they, they have to go and, and do that in person. But most jobs these days are, are sedentary. So have we seen any numbers that would 
and maybe it's right too soon. We're still just coming out of the pandemic, but I wonder as more and more people have job flexibility, commuting less, uh, or maybe commuting not at all, working from home, have we seen a correlation between that and people exercising more? Have we seen they really haven't? One has not impacted the other. Um, um, I have to say, I have not seen, I have not seen studies on that. Mm. Um, it's an important question because really the, the pandemic changed the nature of work so much um, that, you know, many people are uh, not going to work every day like they used to. Um, and um, so, but we don't, we don't know what the, uh, really the implications of that right. are. Well, and as you um, talked about, people are still commuting and driving to the grocery store, to the library, to yeah. all the to 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 shopping, to getting their kids to school, all the other things. You take work out of the equation. That's certainly a big piece of commuting, but that doesn't change our addiction to the car in uh, America. That is right. That is right. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned addiction to car, and I, I think that's really a good analogy. And um, like, um, like uh, other, other addictions, you know, it's not, it's not uh, su- sufficient to put a lot of the blame on, on the person because there are things that support that addiction. In fact, you know, if we go back to the beginning of the opioid addiction, that that came out of um, efforts to encourage uh, physicians to prescribe more painkillers to, you know, reduce people's pain. Mm-hmm. So so in fact, um, uh, people were not seeking to be addicted to uh, painkillers, but um, their doctors thought they were doing them a favor by uh prescribing these painkillers that they were told were not addictive. Right, right. So sometimes the solution is actually, the solution to one problem creates another problem. Yes, it certainly can. And and in the case of of, uh, driving, why are we addicted to driving? Well, it's because we have designed most of our cities um, in a way that makes driving the only option for getting somewhere. Right, right. So so it's not the person's fault that it is illegal to build a community or a neighborhood where you have stores and schools and jobs and shopping all mixed together. Our zoning laws mm-hmm. mandate the separation. You must live in a different place than the office parks or the shopping centers, or the schools that are on the periphery of the community. All of these places must be separated. And that just requires driving. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's not that people are saying, oh, great, how can I, how, how can I drive more? It's that our, our uh, policies and the way that we built our country require driving. Well, and it seems like so much of the American dream is really part of the American dream is the excitement of having your own car and the open road like the, that's part of, the you know, coming of age in America. And we have that can still perhaps be true. There is something exciting and, and fun about the family road trip when we went to look at you know, the Grand Canyon and other things, there, there's fun in that and, and driving new, through new cities. But we have put that in the same category as, so therefore we don't need mass transportation because we all must have a car for all yeah. things, not just yeah. this one thing. Yeah, 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 that's right. And we often, we talk about um, America is a car culture. Yes. And you did part of your growing up in the capital of that. Oh my goodness, Los yes. Angeles yes. is a car culture. People drive everywhere. Why? Because they have to. And but this whole idea of car culture, um, I I, hap- I I I found out one of the reasons why that was. And several years ago, I was making I was giving a talk, and. Um, 
and I wanted to uh, uh, talk about, among other things, uh, what are the most advertised products in America and how do they relate to physical activity? And I have to say I was surprised by what I found because I thought, well, the most most advertised products are probably beer, uh, fast junk food. food, fast food, right? Yes, soda, and, and maybe now insurance. But no, no, no. Um, uh, uh, the the most advertised product in America was, and I suspect probably still is, cars. Most advertised, really, more TV commercials. Yeah, they're you, they're kind of background noise, but if you yes, because when you're you, watching TV, you see the commercial and you sort of disregard it because you're like, I'm not about to buy a car, so exactly. it's not something you you pay any attention to because this is only something you do once a decade, if that. You would think so. Yes. but but um, uh, but they're constant. Hmm. They are constant, and maybe you you kind of tune them out. But of course, they do their best to to tune you in. Um, and uh, uh, and how do they do that? Do they do that by telling you how reliable their car is? No. Do they tell you uh, what good mileage it gets? No. Do they tell you how safely it's built? Rarely. Hmm. What do they tell you? This car is exciting. It's fun. Right. This car is fun. This car is on the open road. This car is surrounded by no traffic whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You will notice they never show traffic. Never, in- <laughs> never, right, right. never show traffic. Um, freedom. They say it's freedom. It's status. Or I, I would even say it does all that. But then there's also sort of the alternative ads that will still appeal to you as a mother, as a parent, as a family get together. This is how you get your kids to, to, um, to soccer games. And this is what you do. You're a good parent and you're going to have this good, reliable car because that's what good parents do. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there's many sales pitches and it's, it's clear they've, they've been successful. But, you know, hmm. the best the best marketing for cars is to build our cities and our transportation systems. So you must drive. So 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 many people feel um, so when this yeah. this this happens all the time, everywhere, whenever there's a proposal um, to uh, uh, add a safe place for people to bike, especially. Um, uh, and, and Madison is a diamond bike city. Yeah, um, we, I've, I've been there and I biked there in, in January. Yes. So I know. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Are you sure you live in San Diego? You biked here in January? Wow. <laughs> I'm not I even want, doing that. I, I wanted to uh, experience uh, of the, the real life in Madison. So I, I bit the bullet and did that. Um, but. Um, uh, whenever you want to create safe places for biking, people will rise up and they will say, nobody bikes here. Right. Don't waste your money on this. We yeah. need, I need, a, I need another lane on, on the Correct. road so I can get to work quicker. You add the and bike lane, you take away the driving lane, you take away the parking space, you take away all of these things because there's only so much room on the road. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And and people say, yeah, why do we need bike lanes? Nobody bikes. Well, <laughs> the reasons people don't bike is there's no safe place to ride. And um, a lot of people would like to bike. And uh, probably a lot of people move to Madison so they can bike safely. Um, but uh, so but uh, anytime you want to add uh, facilities for biking, it is uh, viciously uh, opposed. And uh, and so b- because of that, um, in the in the US, uh, uh, if we go back to commuting data about uh, well, typically less than 1% of commuting trips are by bike. I want to talk a little bit about the emotional impact of, yeah. of uh, commuting, uh, particularly by car. Um, it feels like there are studies out there that say the more time you spend commuting, the 
the more depressed it has an emotional impact the less sleep that you get which has health impacts as well but the, just less social interaction you're sort of sadder lonelier more depressed um and there's multiple studies on that it feels much more than just anecdotal it, it feels like the more minutes you add to your commute the more um that impacts you yeah i've i I would assume that that's correct. I have to say I'm I'm not that familiar with that literature, but it it certainly makes sense. And um, a a couple of related issues, you mentioned uh, that people are isolated. And um, I I think that that is uh, absolutely true. Um, Because think about your experience. Let's say you're walking down the street in your neighborhood. You know, and and you are one of these people who can um, walk to the grocery store or coffee shop or something. Um, and you're you're walking down the street, and and you uh, somebody passes by you, and and you're you're likely to say hello, how are you, um, and treat them as your neighbor or you know just someone on the street, and uh, and you know have a. And it's a typically more a pleasant than an unpleasant situation. Yes. But when you get in a car, um, number one, you typically can't see the people driving the other car, the other cars around you. So, so you're not interacting with people, you're interacting with machines. And all of those machines are in your way. They are preventing you from... Uh, getting to where you want to go in the in an efficient uh, time, so um, so it's it, it, it's a depersonalized experience. You're alone in your car. Most vehicle trips are alone, um, and you're you're surrounded by these machines that you're not relating to personally. You're not saying hi. You're not waving. You're you're more likely to um, uh, give uh the middle finger than all five fingers um so um so it's a it's a different experience and um so we we recently published a study uh, that's somewhat related to this and we found that that people who um lived in the suburbs um you know where driving is is pretty necessary um um had fewer interactions with their neighbor um or their neighbors than people who lived in walkable, um, more central city uh, neighborhoods where people can walk to, you know, places, most places they want to go. And, um, and so, uh, and so we, we asked people about uh, a variety of interactions with neighbors, you know, just saying, uh, waving, saying hello, uh, stopping to chat for a minute, yes. going over to people's houses, asking for assistance, that, a whole range of things. And, um, and we found much, much less of those kinds of interactions if uh, people lived in uh, automobile-dependent uh, suburbs. And, and so we thought this was really important because it shows that uh, people that drive in and out of their neighborhoods, uh, as you do in the suburbs, instead of walking around, you don't have much chance of seeing your neighbors. Right. Because you, you drive into your carport, you right. go inside, you never see your neighbors, except as you're driving by, and they're usually driving by. So, um, um, so that is, uh, you know, we think that is part of the epidemic of isolation and loneliness that the Surgeon General has talked about. Because in in your car, you are alone and you feel alone and it's you against the world. And it's, that's not, that's not a, uh, a mood that's going to generate happiness. Well, I feel like, I mean, maybe this is a little bit of a stretch, but on this show we talk about, you know, so many different topics over the years and isolation contributes to the conversations we have had anecdotally about politics in America, about interacting with one another, about the fact that we're more polarized. Whatever your opinion is, it's 
you also there's there's no middle ground there's no humanity there's such a disconnect between people that believe complete opposite things in america it didn't always used to be that way and maybe it was there was more social interaction there was more community events where you talked with people and built relationships and then when you learned each other's politics you said oh maybe i'll go talk to that person i mean i know this is a bit of a stretch but it seems that this the our commute and our cars are contributing to the isolation and polarization of americans uh you know i i share your suspicion on that um and you know you you think about it we we uh, live such isolated lives mm-hmm. um, and uh, okay so we do most of our transportation by driving alone um, we do most of our recreation by looking at screens uh, alone or with you know just uh, with our immediate family we do a lot of our work alone and now at home so you don't even interact with your uh, with your coworkers, so there's a lot of isolating effects of the technology that is shaping the way that we live our lives, um, and so that I, I think that that's something we need to understand more because these are these are these are worldwide trends yeah. that have been going on a long time, and they're not slowing down; they're speeding up as technology you know, advances and, and reels us in to, we must experience the next technology um, and make it part of our lives. And that keeps squeezing out uh, time with people. I wonder also about the stress of driving, the stress of owning a car, of, of the cost of owning a car, of the cost of gas, of cost of all these things, the stress of making sure you get on time, the stress of, oh my God, there's a traffic jam. I didn't think there going to be a traffic jam. Now I'm yeah. 15 minutes late to work. Uh, I'm That must have tremendous health impacts and also emotional impact. It's exhausting to be stressed. Yes, yes. Yes, I, I, I think that's correct. Uh, I, I like to, uh, uh, to use uh, a, a contrast um, that we've all heard of, about road rage. Um, and uh, sometimes it gets really extreme. Yes. But uh, I, I see, you know, if I get in a taxi um, uh, and I see a, a different people driving, you know, they, they're, they're, they get very competitive. They want to be at the front of the line. They want to pass other people. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of constant. I got a, I got a speed to get right, where I'm right. going. And, and again, um, the people around you are your, your combatants, your enemies. There's no and, community and, when you're driving, so, right? Yeah. And so sometimes road rage is kind of minor, you know, again, uh, we'll, we'll refer to the middle finger as a uh, something pretty common on the road and sometimes it's worse than that but have you ever heard so again road rage common common concept you see it all the time have you ever heard of sidewalk rage no i haven't either I haven't oh, either. Oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> Trick question. I like it. Right. It doesn't exist. Right. Doesn't exist. Walking down the sidewalk. Um, you know, most of the time that's pretty pleasant. I mean, it depends on I mean, what kind of sometimes kind of road you're next to. Sometimes when I was walking quickly to the subway in New- when I lived in New York, when I lived in DC, people were in my way, but it yeah. wasn't it was nowhere near the same level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. And so, you know, there are a lot of positive things that happen when you're walking. You know, you can you can uh, uh, notice the flowers uh, that people have planted. You can uh, say hello to your neighbors. You can see children playing. You can, um, you know, enjoy the enjoy the trees in the neighborhood. Um, so uh, so I think that tells you something. Yeah. Um, about the emotional impact of different modes of commuting and getting around.
We're talking right now with Dr. James Salas about the impact of commuting. We would love to hear from you. Um, We had a a question coming in. I'm going to get to it in one second. But if you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Again, a special number just for today, area code 608-467-5672. I'm going to say it one more time. Area code 608-467-5672. So... Jim, the the question was, um, are there any benefits to commuting? Is there are there benefits? And, and it was about how, you know, any studies about the ability to listen to community radio, the ability to listen to podcasts, the ability. I mean, I actually try and save my favorite podcast, and when I know I have a commute longer than a half an hour, I I. Uh, a little bit in my mind, look forward to that conversation and that, that I get to listen to um, a podcast. So can there be benefits to it? Uh, Well, I think you've, you've made a good case that there, there can be. And uh, to me, it's a case of um, making choices to make the best of your situation. You know, if you're going to be in a car for a long time, how can you make that a pleasant experience? And there are many ways to do that. And, and you mentioned podcasts and, um, you know, hopefully some people talk to their uh, spouse and their family in the car and have a nice conversation. Um, I like to listen to music in the car. Uh, so, so, yes, there are things you can do to make it more pleasant. Um, and uh, I guess the, the main advantage of commuting is is really an economic one um, is you can get to a job. Um, you can, uh, I, I uh, heard a, a presentation some students made just a, a couple of weeks ago and they talked about analyzing what they call purchasing trips and non-purchasing trips, you know, so where you're going shopping. And um, so that's an economic benefit to the community, maybe not to your bank account, but to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, that's, I think, in large part, what's driven the car culture and car supportive policies, it, that cars are seen as economic uh, development. Well, um, that, and I was going to say something I thought that was so interesting in your answer um, which is, and of course I already knew this, but wasn't really saying it out loud was you, you said you can make it more pleasant. So that's great that you're listening to community radio and I'm listening to my podcast when I drive. Well, guess what? I could listen to my co- podcast when I'm walking. I could exactly. listen to my podcast when I'm at home, when doing something else. So you're right. I, I think in my mind of, I really literally do save some of my favorite podcasts for my car commute. Um, and so I think of it as, oh, when I drive, it's good. I'll get to listen to this. Yeah. But I'm doing it all backwards. It's these are my favorite podcasts. I can listen to yeah. it anytime. Yeah. I just yeah. save it for work for driving because I'm trying to make driving more pleasurable. Exactly. You are compensating Compensate. for exactly. the boredom and stress of driving. That's what you're doing. You know, I want to I want to go to another another part of your last question yeah. about the stress. And that's the the financial stress. Yes. It, it I, I just looked this up and it cost an average of over $10,000 a year um, to uh, own and ma- or have and maintain a car. Yes. $10,000 a year. Well, if you're making $100,000 a year, that's not a big deal. Um, if you're making $40,000 a year, that's, that's, that's a quarter. Insane of your of your income yeah and so we have to think about um we have a lot of poverty in this country Mm -hmm. and cars are are a reason for that poverty uh one reason for that uh for that poverty because you buy a car and um you what do you lose 20 30 percent of its value the moment you drive off the lot um so it's a it's a destroyer of economic uh, development, it's a wealth destroyer, as as opposed to a house that goes up in value, um, and um, and and think about the stress on lower income people. Yes, if they if they can't afford a car, uh, not willing to sacrifice 
so many things in life to afford a car, um, then they're going to really be limited in their job prospects. Yep. If if they are in a low live in a low income area, and it takes them two hours on the bus to commute to a high income area where the uh, where the jobs are, the good jobs, then they're they're faced with a choice of having a miserable commute every day and missing so much time with their family and things they like to do and time to exercise or are just take up a, a, a lower paying job that ensures they stay lower income. Yeah. So it, it's really uh, a terrible situation for lower income people to, to live in a place that's so car dependent because your, your life will, uh, you will have to sacrifice um, your 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 life will be lower quality uh, because of our um, catering to car the cost drivers. Of cars. Well, in our, our, our final minute here, um, what do you recommend people do? I mean, this has just been a fabulous conversation to help sort of put thoughts in our heads to frame our conversations when we talk in the future with city leaders. I mean, I. Yep. Is that sort of the advice that you give people in, in, in sort of a minute here of talking to our mayors and our elected officials about helping our cities not be so car dependent? Yes. Yes. I think that is the key. And but I I try to encourage people not to feel the weight of responsibility. Oh, I've got to figure out how to talk to my city council person. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I encourage people to join organizations um, that are trying to uh, give more uh, uh, more options for uh, transportation. So almost every every town and city has some kind of walking advocacy group or maybe a bicycle advocacy group. And if your town doesn't, then your state will. Um, so that that you can support them and make them stronger so that they can uh, speak up for uh, supporting more biking and walking. I, I, wanna, I wanna give yeah, one key statistic before we end. Sure. Um, uh, uh, we always talk about commuting trips because they're the longest, but in fact, um, 41% of trips in the United States are three miles or less, hmm. 40%. And but that's walking and biking. Those distance. are walk and bikeable. Yes. 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 And yep. think about if, if, if even half of those, uh, short trips were taken walking and biking, the number of cars that would be off the road, the healthier people would be. This has been a fabulous conversation. It's been so great having with you, Dr. James Salas. Thank you for joining us today and talking to us about commuting. Thank you, Carousel. And thanks, everyone, for joining and listening today. You've been listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We'll see you again next week, everyone. Stay warm. Infaquetas en ti, ¿verdad? Tu talón es su trozo.